Alright, what is up everyone, and welcome, finally, to another episode of the Browns Note Podcast. This is Ryan Burns coming to you from Dog Pound West in Orange County, California. This is episode 40 of the Browns Note Podcast, and it has been a while. It's been about three months, and I first I'll just apologize briefly for the delay and for the occasional uh, false start on these. I had some Skype issues. I've been uh, dealing with a rather full work calendar, and uh, quite frankly, it was just difficult to put it together. But we're here. It's pre-draft extravaganza. We're going to be joined by Brendan Leister and uh, a little bit later, Pete Smith. So I've got some good conversations with those guys about needs, about the potential draft choices of the Browns, about what they might do uh, at various spots in the draft and so on and so forth. So we'll have plenty of draft nonsense for you here on this episode. Uh, I'll give you a few thoughts here before we dive into that. Uh, It's been roughly 90 days, as I said, since the first podcast, and a great deal has happened. Um, I guess one of the (laughs) silver linings of not having recorded for the past three months is that I didn't waste a bunch of time on the Jared Goff, Carson Wentz question. It appears that question has been uh, wrested from our from our hands there at number two. Dropped down to number eight, a trade with the Eagles, netting a bunch of extra picks. I think those picks are valuable, and quite frankly, I was always among the group that was never real comfortable with any of the quarterback choices this particular season at number two. Now, that's not to say I wouldn't have done it in a lot of drafts. There are quarterbacks in last year's draft, the year before probably, and certainly next year and the year after where I would have been real comfortable taking quarterbacks up there. I'm just, I I don't happen to be particularly enamored with these two. And of course, that's the way it would naturally turn out as a Browns fan is that's the year you're drafting number two. But at any rate, they no longer are. Got the trade down. Uh, they've made some decisions that will obviously impact what they're doing in the draft. All those guys they quote-unquote lost in free agency, um, some of them will probably be lost, but some of them will be replaced pretty easily. Uh, obviously, the signing of Robert Griffin III threw sort of a monkey wrench into everyone's analysis and perceptions of what it really meant for this franchise. I'll just give you mine off the top of my head here. I, look, there's no denying the just natural ability that the kid has and that he displayed even at the NFL level uh, for a brief time while he was starting his career in Washington. I'll tell you that my personal view of his play over the four years that he was in Washington is not real good. Uh, that, that first year was something else, but I do think there's a lot to um, teams catching up to how he was being sort of managed and that he never was able to take that next step, which is to truly be able to understand and diagnose everything he's looking at before the snap and to be able to appropriately adjust. Now, that's not to say that he can't ever do that, and that's not to say that a fresh start with a coach like Hugh Jackson who, A, believes in him, and B, is going to give him his full attention, uh, won't work for him. And so I think you got to at least be a little intrigued by this, but you also... If you view his play anything like I do over the past couple of years, you have to be scared to death that that's just who he's going to be and that it won't be much of a solution even here in 2016. So I don't think they're done addressing the position. I think you're going to see something somewhere in the draft. I just don't think it's going to be uh, as early as we previously thought. And and, uh, I I guess at this point I'll be surprised if it's a quarterback – um, before that, that number 32, but you never know, maybe they jump back up late one to get that fifth year. So we'll see how that stuff all shakes out. Uh, the team appears to be excited about the Hugh Jackson era. You get enough of the uh, press out of, out of Berea, you get enough on Twitter, you get enough sort of generally out there in the national media about what Hugh Jackson and Sashi Brown and Paul DePodesta and Andrew Barry and Hugh Jackson are bringing to the table. Did I say Hugh Jackson twice? Well, if I did, it's only because he's probably the most important one of this group. At the end of the day, he's the guy responsible for how things happen 
on the field. And at the end of the day, he's the guy who I suspect is going to have the thickest say in who gets to play quarterback for the Cleveland Browns, not just this year, uh, but for the immediately foreseeable future. So, oh, one other thing, the schedule release. Well, it's not a real exciting schedule. There are a lot of L's on that schedule, at least by the way things look here in April. Uh, hopefully the draft and training camp will lead us to the conclusion that it's going to be a little bit better than apparently most of the world thinks it's going to be. I happen to think the 1-15, the 0-16 prognostications are just a tad dramatically negative, but then I thought 3-13 and 13 was dramatically negative last year, and here we sit. So, with that, I think uh, I've set the foundation. We've got Pete Smith and Brendan Leister on this episode of the Browns Note podcast. I was gonna get in, was gonna get with uh, Justin Higdon as well. Justin and I just couldn't quite make it work this weekend schedule wise, and so we'll have him on post draft to help break it down. Um, one thing I will say on Justin's behalf is not Miles Jack at eight, please. Although I would be just fine myself with Miles Jack. Um, just depends on how you feel about that knee. If you like the knee, I'm fine with him at eight. So anyway, that's my guy. We'll move forward. Let's start with Brendan Leister. I spoke with him yesterday for about a half an hour. Here it is. All right, I am very pleased now to be joined. Finally, at long last, it's been about three months since we did a podcast, and uh, that's mostly my fault, and it's also partially Skype's fault, but we'll, uh, we'll save the story for another time. Uh, welcome in, please, Mr. Brendan Leister, if you would. We can find him on Twitter, at Brendan Leister. You can find his work... Uh, at the OBR these days, the Orange and Brown Report. How's it going, man? Doing good. Semester's winding down and the draft is upon us. It so is. things are great. It How is. about you? I'm doing all right. I'm uh, I'm not studied up this year, so I'm I'm wondering. That's that's sort of my first question. Is from a general perspective, how are you feeling in terms of your prospect study? Uh, pretty good overall. Um, I don't know the later round guys and there's certain positions I really haven't focused on, but most of the early, uh, potential Browns, I feel like I have a decent feel for. Nice. Nice. Well, I figure we ought to start kind of where everybody expected the focus of this draft and this off season to be with the quarterbacks. Uh, obviously since we last spoke, they've made a pretty substantial move in that regard in signing, uh, Robert Griffin. You know, I I haven't gotten a chance yet to really think about this out loud with you on on here, so we might as well do it real real briefly. What is your what is your feeling about? Yeah, you, know, you know, obviously we're speculating a little bit because we're on the outside of this, but <clears throat> given the things that you've heard the organization and the coaching staff say, given given what we've seen out of Griffin over the past couple of years, or I guess even his entire four years in Washington, I sort of wonder what is your sense about a whether we can really have any kind of an expectation about this guy, and then B, what you think the Browns are hoping, obviously they're hoping to get a miracle out of it, but realistically in terms of this year and in terms of how they're preparing the quarterback position on the whole, sort of give me your feel for that situation. Well, I think they're going to make him earn it. I don't think they're going to hand him anything. You know, we just heard Sashi Brown say that the other day, that um, he's not going to be handed the job. They don't know if he's their starting quarterback yet. Uh, Talent-wise, I think uh, Robert Griffin has everything you're looking for. Really talented passer, um, arm strength. The deep ball accuracy always stood out coming out of Baylor, his uh, rookie year in the NFL. He has the ability to push the ball down the field, but uh, I think the big problems 
uh, the past couple of years with pocket presence, injuries, um, just and also I don't really know if he ever really got a chance under Jay Gruden. So I think the Browns will make him earn everything he gets, and uh, I'm looking forward to seeing if Hugh Jackson can re- resurrect his career, so to speak. It seems like he's hungry, so I'm excited to see how it plays out. Yeah, I am too. You know, I guess I don't think there's realistically much chance that he's not the starting quarterback. I mean, look, we'll see what happens if they draft somebody and that somebody happens to just play lights out in the in the preseason. But I, I guess I think I don't put great odds on them not wanting to see what Robert Griffin is as opposed to trotting Josh McCown out there, even though I would concede that Josh McCown's obviously competent. He's capable of running your offense. He's not going to totally flat out embarrass you. Um, I guess I get the sense that if they were willing to do that, they wouldn't have bothered signing Griffin. That's that's sort of my feeling about it. Um, but we'll see. We'll see how that all comes down. And then, obviously, we are not in the position as we would have been. And uh, I, I mentioned to Pete when we spoke that I'm glad we didn't spend, uh, you know, the last three months debating Wentz versus Goff because that debate has now been rendered totally moot by this trade. Um, uh he was a Wentz guy. You were a golf guy. I was. A, I'd really rather not a, take a quarterback there. But if you make me, I guess I'd take Wentz guy. Um, not part of the equation anymore, really. So let's talk quarterbacks that might be part of the equation, at least if we make that assumption. I guess I really don't think there's much likelihood that they're taking one at eight. I, Paxton Lynch to me, uh, you know, I, I see some physical ability, but beyond that, I'm not all that impressed and. Frankly, there's no way I would ever consider taking him in the first round. So um, give me your thoughts on the quarterbacks that you think sort of might be, wherever they might be in the draft, that might be on Hugh Jackson and the Browns' radar and and sort of what you think about them. Yeah, so uh, to start off, you know, I think Cardale Jones might be on their radar. Uh, I've heard things about Hugh supposedly liking Cardale. Um, I know a lot of people are turned off because he lost the starting job this past year. Obviously, that was a really difficult situation. Um, I think the play-calling situation was pretty awful. They didn't really do a very good job of tailoring the system to his skill set like they did under Tom Herman the year before when they went on that run and won the national championship. So I thought that Cardale largely looked like the same player to me from a skill set standpoint, but the problem was that they just weren't really – they weren't really – making his strengths stand out and trying to mitigate his weaknesses. So, and also another thing was he didn't have Devin Smith the year before he really trusted Devin Smith on the deep ball, throwing the ball down the field, pushing it vertically. They didn't really have a true deep threat on the roster. So I think that really hurt him. Um, and also, you know, JT was, he was a captain. So that's another whole thing. I think Urban Meyer really trusted JT. Um, there are questions about Cardale's work ethic. Um, if he goes to Cleveland, you know, that's where he's from. So I wonder if there will be distractions with family and stuff. But from a trade standpoint, uh, arm strength, um, I really like the way that he makes anticip- anticipatory throws, um, moving around in the pocket, pocket presence, um, got quick feet. He, he shows the ability to cycle through full, full field progressions at times. Um, and that was – you know, from early on, his first or second start, he was already showing that. So I think that's impressive. Um, it, it, his accuracy is not great. Um, it needs to improve definitely. I think it will with mechanical work. And then he's also going to be a 24-year-old rookie. So that's 
a negative, but he's actually my second quarterback behind Goff, which I know to a lot of people that'll sound crazy, but um, at the top, I just don't think this is a really strong quarterback class, so I actually have him second. Um, after that, I think Kevin Hogan actually might be an option for the Browns just because... Excuse me Pep while Han- I run to the restroom to vomit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but Pep Hamilton recruited him uh, to Stanford. That was actually his first recruit that he brought to Stanford. Uh, Hogan, I think, will just be a backup in the NFL. I actually just wrote my report on him today. It should be up later today or tomorrow with the OBR, so be sure to check that out. Um, He struggles under pressure, um, drops his eyes a lot. Um, I think he has a high football IQ. He's a really athletic guy. Seems like he understands how to manage a game. Um, he does. Yeah, he's got a ton of guts. And... He's got a ton of guts. Yeah. And he can manage a game. He's a Stanford quarterback. There's no way around all that. But his yep. his passing ability to me is extremely limited. From a, you know, he's gonna, he's going to put a cap on what you can do in the passing game, just because he's just not that good at it. I mean, it's not that yeah. he's, it's not that he's terrible, but he's not very good. Um, I agree. And, and you know, I look at all these guys, and they've Back all got up. they've all got their flaws. You know, and. You know the other. I've heard a couple other names sprinkled in, and I'd love to get your thoughts on uh, Connor Cook. And I know you did a report on him. And Dak Prescott is one where I think there's a really wide variety of opinions on a where he ought to be drafted and b whether or not he can play. And he's just an interesting guy to me. I mean, you know, he he showed a lot of. I don't know what the what the word is I'm looking for, but he managed to get his teams to a lot of victories. And I, you know, you can QB wins that if you want, but I tend to put a lot of stock in guys that can do that. Take a game over in the moments when it's absolutely necessary. I really like that trait in a quarterback. It's something I'm looking for. And he had enough of it for me to at least notice. Yeah. I think uh, Prescott and Hogan are kind of on the same level to me. I think they'll both be backup type guys. Uh, Prescott's mobile. Uh, his accuracy is very up and down. Um, he he's not a very he doesn't do a good job of making anticipatory throws, and you know they, we see that a lot with spread quarterbacks nowadays. And guys coming out of college, uh, they just don't throw right. with a lot of anticipation. Dude's where I actually think Hogan, <laughs> yeah, I actually yeah, think Saturday, Hogan does a good. Open, you know, yeah, I think Hogan actually does a better job of that. But but there's also some other issues there. Uh, Prescott has plenty of arm strength. Um, and, and he does a decent job of managing the game also. So I would put him kind of, I think they're both in that third day area. I have a tough time kind of valuing guys. Um, like putting a valuation on players is a little more difficult for me. You know, I'm not a GM, so I just, I look at traits. Yeah, I kind of think about to meet the where I'll pick either. them. So, I mean, it's just, yeah. there, there's such a big chunk of information that we don't have access to. And so really... You know, when we're when when you're scouting, even as thorough as you can be with it, uh, you know, bottom line is information wise, we have limits. We don't get to sit down and and test these guys' knowledge. We don't get a sense of their personality really, except for things that are made for TV. So, price all that in, folks, as we talk about this stuff. Sorry, Brendan, didn't mean to interrupt you. Go ahead. Oh no, you're good. Um, but I just I think both those guys are like fourth, fifth, maybe sixth round guys. You know, that's that's kind of how I I view them. Um, who was the other player that you? I mentioned Cook as well. Oh, Cook, yeah. Okay. Um, he is interesting to me. Um, he has a lot of trouble with accuracy, but he also 
threw a higher percentage of passes deeper down the field than most of the quarterbacks in the class, or maybe even all of the quarterbacks. Um, I've seen some statistics on that. But when I watched, he really stands out as a guy that he just he forces his receivers to consistently win contested catches. And what I mean by that is he's throwing to guys that are covered like a lot, and he just basically expects them to bail him out. So I know that a lot of people um, used to bash on Johnny Manziel because they thought he did that to Mike Evans all the time. Well, I don't. I actually think Cook does it more than Manziel did, to be honest. But um, but yeah, he does that a lot, and he really struggles with accuracy. Um, his feet and his eyes are not tied together. That's a big issue he has, where he'll he'll look, you know, he'll look from one read to the next, but his feet don't follow his eyes. So he has a lot of trouble with lower body mechanics. And I think that leads to a lot of inaccurate throws. Um, from an arm strength standpoint, he he's pretty average, maybe even below average. He has trouble driving the ball. But but if you look at his best throws, um, I would say that he actually has some of the best throws in the class. And he shows some really impressive flashes of of anticipation down the field. Yeah, I feel like the you, intermediate level. You, you kind of nailed it. It's it, it, when his mechanics are there, he's pretty freaking good. Yeah, I agree. I think. Um, I don't see huge upside. You know, I don't like to use that word a ton because I think it's really hard to gauge upside with quarterbacks. I think people throw it around too much tied to, you know, the physical tools and all that. I think it's more mental with quarterbacks and work ethic. I think that's a huge part of it. And that's kind of something we don't really see, but I just, I think he kind of is what he is. I don't see him getting a ton better, but you just never know though. I'm sure that, 15 years ago someone said that about tom brady and somebody said it about kurt warner and somebody said it about joe montana and that's 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 the nature of the beast and so it does always crack me up we get to this time of year and everybody's so sure about their quarterback takes and i'm just sitting here going you know i've watched this game for a really long time and certainly longer than most people on twitter just because i'm that old and i you know I've never seen anybody that got them all right. So when you're talking about these things with certainty out there, just make sure that you understand that to somebody who has seen the game for a really long time, you sound a little silly. Um, let's talk about specifics. Number eight. We're, we're sitting at this eight pick, and I don't know whether they're going to take the pick at eight or not, but obviously, um, at least as compared to two, there are probably a great deal more options available to you at eight in terms of what you might do. I'm wondering, you know, within the realm of reason, who do you think the real options are? I mean, everybody's talked about, you know, the, the obvious defensive lineman, Zeke. Um, I, I don't think a quarterback is an option at eight unless one of those other two guys dropped, and I'm assuming that Philly didn't trade all that for a, for a running back. So tell me your thoughts at eight, assuming they were to take that pick. I think three guys kind of stand out in my mind as options. I think uh, DeForest Buckner from Oregon, Joey Bosa from Ohio State, and then Ezekiel Elliott from Ohio State. That's that's kind of the three guys that I have in my mind right now, unless they want to surprise everybody and take someone that, you know, the consensus amongst media and draft mix uh, have a little lower. But, but at this point, I really think the Browns are going to trade down, to be honest. Yeah, I guess I think that is going to be the most likely occurrence. Um, but you know, want to be prepared for that pick. I, where do you yeah. where do you stand on? I, you know, it's so hard to discuss with the medical. But where do you stand on the Miles Jack idea? Oh man, I think he, from what I've seen, he's probably the best player in the class. I'll be, I will, 
I will also add just that I haven't really focused on Tunzel or any of the offensive linemen much because the more that I read LaCharles Bentley's tweets, the more I realize I don't know anything. So <laughs> I don't even I don't even really try to evaluate offensive line anymore. I just kind of leave it to him and Big Duke, and I just let them tweet and I follow what they say. Um, but from what I've seen of all the other top guys, I think Miles Jack, when he's healthy, is the best player in the class. He's explosive. He can cover. Um, I'm going to throw that word out there again. Upside. I mean, in the in the box, I think he has a ton of upside when it comes to just run chase, um, hit people. You know, explosive. I could see Horton sending him on blitzes through the A gap a lot, and yep. I just think he gives a defensive coordinator a ton of value. And uh, he's just such a versatile player. I, I really, I see. I think he could play strong safety. He could play inside linebacker. He could play some on the edge. He can walk out in the slot. He can man up on your tight end. Yeah, exactly. Get hands on a tight end, uh, disrupt a short passing game. So there's a lot of things. He could run the scene with a tight end also. So there's just so much he brings to the table um, if he was healthy. But that, that knee is a huge question mark. It is, yeah. And for me, there's just no way to know, and I, I leave that to the doctors. The way I figure I can analyze it is to say, well, if you're not okay with his knee, then this is all moot anyway. So assuming you're okay with the knee, which means you've had a doctor check it out and all that, to me, eight, it, it's a much more palatable choice to me at eight than, than it was at two. When people were actually discussing that, two just felt like you couldn't really do that for a linebacker, even one that you think is going to be pretty special. Um, on the other hand, you know, Luke Keekley went number nine, and I'm sure whoever picked up at two would, would have been fine getting what, what Carolina has gotten out of Keekley. So, you know, it's one of those things where um, it, it, there's probably way too much focus on a difference of a handful of slots in some spots. But at the same time, that is the name of the game, is trying to maximize the value of your picks. And so that's why that discussion is what it is. Do you buy this? this narrative that the Browns are absolutely desperate at right tackle and that it is one of the priorities that they are most keen, keen to address in the first round. No, I don't think so. I don't, I think they'll stick to their board. They'll take the best player. It might be a right tackle, but I don't, I don't see them freaking out about that. Um, They have 12 picks right now. They're in my opinion, they're going to have more than 12 after Thursday. So I think, they'll be able to get a right tackle a little later if they want to, or maybe they can play passer at right tackle. You know, they're going to have Batonio, they're going to have Greco at guard, Irving at center most likely. So there's a spot at right tackle for maybe passer or someone else. So well, And, and um, you know, Pete mentioned an interesting oh, thing. where The they new could, guy too, Alvin yeah, Bailey. Bailey's out there. I think Bailey, at least for now, is the starter. But Pete mentioned yeah. something that I found really interesting. He said, look, if you end up in a spot in the draft where all of a sudden you're staring at your favorite guard in the draft lower than you think you should be there and you can take him, well, maybe you start considering about moving Batonio out to right tackle. I don't have a huge problem with them just yeah. sort of maintaining some flexibility along that offensive line. Um, but I don't, I don't see – right tackle is, oh my gosh, they got to address that first or second round, the way it's being talked about. So I think when, you, when you're hearing these rumors about the Browns being interested in, say, somebody like Conklin at eight, I'm not buying that for a second. I think that's a, a draft pick, you know, fishing expedition more than anything. Um, who is, and so you mentioned Bosa and Buckner. I guess I, I'm going to be really curious to see because I guess I sort of think Buckner is going to be gone. Um, and I feel like Bosa should be, but he might be dropping because of things that are sort of not on the field concerns or, uh, or, or perhaps sort of, you know, fit concerns. 
Um, but I guess I, I really do think Zeke's going to be gone. I think Buckner's going to be gone. And I think Tunsil's going to be gone. So, mm-hmm. it, you know, and Ramsey. And, and Ramsey. So now it becomes a really interesting question. If all those guys are gone, what are the Browns doing? Um, if it was a – let, let me just throw the same question to you I did. I tweeted it earlier this week. Let's say you're sitting there at eight. All those guys are off the board. You've got to take not Paxton Lynch. You have to take a non-quarterback skill position player at eight with Zeke off the board. Who's it going to be? So at eight, a skill position player, so you're saying a running back or receiver. Sure, or a tight end, but I don't Correct. think there's that guy or in this draft. End. From what I've seen – uh, I would probably take Laquan Treadwell. I'm a big fan of Laquan Treadwell. I know he, he doesn't run the fastest, but I'm, I'm a big fan of his. I think he's a great fit for what the Browns need at wide receiver right now. He's going to make contested catches. Uh, I think the Browns are going to – I have a feeling that they have him high on the board just from – he's so talented. I mean, he does yep. a really good job of coming back to the ball, running routes. Um, he, he doesn't need to be fast. He doesn't play – the game that way he he plays with technique he understands how to beat press um he attacks the ball he's got strong hands he catches the ball away from himself uh, away from his body he Wins sets up catches. defenders so beautifully on his yep. routes exactly that's what i'm saying exactly so i think at eight i would take him and, and another factor that i meant to mention is i think the browns because i've seen a lot of studies by um i think his name is john moore and he, his his uh, Twitter ha- handle is at the CFX, I think. Yep. He's done a lot of work on age and prospects, especially his school positions, because he does a lot of fantasy football stuff. Age is very important when you uh, consider these guys, especially at the wide receiver position. I've seen a lot of stuff on it. And when you compare, like, Dotson with Treadwell, Dotson's actually three years older than Treadwell. Dotson's going to be a 24-year-old rookie. Treadwell is going to be 21. That is a huge difference when you consider down the road, especially for a team that's at the beginning of a rebuild, basically. Well, and when so, you consider the level of domination that when healthy Treadwell put on, a t- on the competition at the top levels of the college game, um, at that age, you got to start. You got to. St- I agree with you. I think you got to start taking that stuff into into consideration. I, I don't. I don't personally have a great problem if they've got Doxson rated significantly higher on their board with them. Oh, saying, I agree. You know, and I know you do. Yeah. And so to me, it just comes down to sort of what skill set they're looking for. Um, it, but ultimately, I guess I think they probably double up on that wide receiver position in, in this draft somehow. Mm-hmm. And, and maybe I'm all wet, but with that many picks, and like you say, the chance to add a few more, um, there are just too many guys throughout this draft that I think can really help a team like this. Um, and that you can start, you know, you can start teaching them your what you're trying to do early, so that when you do get your quarterback, they're ready to help and be of use. Um, yeah. And, and so, I, I guess what I want to ask you, I, you know, I didn't mean to bogart it with the wide receivers, so let me, let me re- rephrase the question. It's going to be about sort of guys. You know, what would a good draft look like? And I, I don't need you to put together all twelve picks, of course, but I, I'm thinking, you know. They address the positions you think they need to address. They get some guys that you like. Give me your, you know, give me a, give me a class of five, six guys that you'd really like to see them take that you think is actually somewhat realistic. Um, realistic, I would say uh, Treadwell falling to thirty-two would be nice. <laughs> so that borderline that realistic. Was <laughs> yeah, I mean, people people have been mocking it lately, so maybe True you know that happening. Um, 
Cardale Jones on in, in the third round or maybe even the fourth round. You never know. I'd, I'd be excited about that. Um, Sheldon Rankins, I've been talking to him up a lot. I know people question his fit in a 3-4 defense, but like we've talked about many times, I think the, the lines are blurred nowadays between 4-3, 3-4. Uh, Ray Horton employs a three technique a lot, and I think Sheldon Rankins is a excellent fit for that position. They need explosiveness on the interior D-line. He'd be a great fit with Sheldon. Um, they could really grow up together over time, and I think uh, – Rankins would take advantage of a lot of one-on-one matchups playing beside Shelton. So uh, that would get me excited if they traded down and got Rankins. Um, Who else? Carl Joseph, I guess. That's another guy. Um, if they if he fell to the third round somehow, that would get me excited. Carl Joseph safety. is not falling to the fir- third round, man. There, if that the happens, injury. If that I happens, know. I will eat my hat. I will be stunned okay. if that dude falls that far. How about how okay. about how about a little further down? What kind of people? What kind of guys? Sort of at various mm. positions that you're that you're at least intrigued by. Intrigued. Sterling Shepard count. Oh yeah. I love Sterling Shepard. I've loved that guy since the season. I uh, that was probably the first player I actually watched much of and focused on besides like Ohio State guys that I was like, wow. That dude's a stud. I want him. So that's another guy. And I think it would be interesting to have him and Treadwell because they have different skill sets, but they can both play in the slot. They can both play outside. Um, You get, you know, you want different bodies at wide receiver. And right now I think the Browns don't have many of any type of bodies really. (laughs) So so I think, yeah, Treadwell and Sterling Shepard, that would be awesome at wide receiver. And and I, just to add on to what you said about that position, also, I think they're going to draft two or three wide receivers in this class. I just think that they probably see yeah, that Yeah, they want to score touchdowns. Pretty, I think they see yeah. that room as completely ordinary. I am certain. Pretty bare. Yeah, I, I am certain that Hugh Jackson sees it as unacceptably small. If Hugh, yep. Hugh Jackson doesn't want four guys the size of Andrew Hawkins. That's just, exactly. he's, he's not going to have that as his wide receiver course. So I really do expect mm-hmm. a lot of change at that position before we get to training camp. I, th- I actually, I think Terrell Pryor's body makes him capable of getting into that group because Hugh Jackson's going to look at the rest of that room and go, I can't throw any of these guys a jump ball. I can't throw any of these guys a screen outside and hope that they break a tackle. I have to hope that they elude tackles. I think he prefers the bigger guy. I mean, you look at what he was working with in Cincinnati. You look at what he was working with mostly when he was in uh, in Oakland and in Baltimore. I, I just think he wants a, a, a physical brand of football even when he's spread out, and I think that involves bigger receivers. You, he, he made such use of Mohamed Sanu and Marvin Jones, even though he had – A.J. Green and Tyler Eifert. I mean, they were loaded with skill position players out there, and that was a big part of why Hugh Jackson was so good is because the skill positions are his specialty. So there is no way. I mean, Hugh Jackson's been a running back coach and a quarterback's coach pretty much his whole career. So if you think he's going to just sit there, and a wide receiver's coach, by the way, so if you think he's going to sit there and just sort of accept ordinary at the skill positions, to me, I, I actually expect that to be sort of a focus of his attention right away. Yeah, I agree with that. I think you're right. Um, 
And I agree about what you said about Pryor. Like, he's the only guy that really stands out in that room right now, and that's why I think they're going to add two or three guys, and they'll probably get some of the better undrafted free agents too. I, I would just assume at that position because Opportunity undrafted knocks. free agents, they're going to see that that group, and they're going to be like, wow. I might get a job we there. Can go to, we can go to Cleveland. Maybe I'll start. You know, <laughs> some guy that maybe had character issues and he's talented. I mean, I don't really know a lot of those guys when you get really late in the draft, but I'm sure there's guys like that. There's so many wide receivers in college football right now that are talented because of the spread, three, four, five wide receiver sets. There's there's guys that come into the league every year and they, they produce. So yeah. I think the Browns have a chance to upgrade that position with youth. So I'm excited about that. So give me the run through just generally of the positions that they really definitely need to address in this draft, in your opinion. I mean, they've got the picks to do everything. So tell me what you think it would be completely unacceptable were they to come out of this draft without having a, taking a shot at, at really addressing it. Wide receiver. Obviously. We've talked about that enough. <laughs> Wide receiver. I think uh, on the D-line, I think they need multiple guys there. Uh, three technique and then also five technique. I think they both both those positions. They need to address safety somehow. You know, I like Ibrahim Campbell from last year's draft, but uh, I'm not a big fan of Jordan Poyer. We'll, we'll see what Ray Horton and all those guys think of him, but um, I'm not a big fan of his. So well, that's a, that's let me kinda... let me ask you an aside. You you may remember, and if you don't, that's fine. You may remember better than I do. Is Horton's scheme um, in terms of safeties? Is it a he's going to want interchangeable guys, or is he a box and free guy? Um, from what I remember, I think it's more like box and free. But I think it would just depend on their skill sets more so. Yeah. Because what I remember was they had T.J. Ward and they had like Deshaun Gibson and someone else that's escaping me right now, and they would just like play T.J. Ward as like a linebacker yeah. most of the time. Yeah, so well, it makes you wonder if if guys like Sua Cravens are going to be on his wish list. Uh, you know, I don't think Cravens is really a safety, but you might be able to get away with it in certain kinds of roles. Um, mm-hmm. Interesting. Sorry, keep going with the positions. Yeah, um, and then we talked about right tackle. You know, I don't. I think that's a position they need. You know, you don't want to, ideally, you don't want to start a pastor there. So I'm sure that they view that as a need. I think adding another young quarterback, that's a need. I would like to see that addressed. I know that some people have been making the case that if they don't get a guy that can start, then they shouldn't take anybody. Well, I don't know about that. I mean, if you can get a valuable, if you can get a backup quarterback and then trade McCown for a pick, I think that's that's a pretty good deal. So, what what if Bill Belichick had taken that approach? <laughs> He'd take what approach? Not taking anybody unless he can start. He he wouldn't have had Tom Brady. So exactly, you know, the, you take good players when you know they're good players, or when you're confident that they are much better than the other players on the board at this point. Um, yep. It's going to be really interesting to see how they address all this stuff. What, when you look at the at the sort of overall approach, and this will be sort of the the way to put a bow on this one, Brendan. When you look at the overall approach from the off season, do you get the sense? Because it seems to me there's a pretty pre- prevalent uh, narrative out there that. The Browns are totally scorching the earth. They are starting completely over from scratch, and they fully expect to be drafting number one or number two next year based on the merits of their own results. Do you buy all that, or do you think that they think uh, they're going to be more competitive than they were last year and that they're just trying to make good decisions? 
I think they're they're planning on being more competitive than last year and 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 definitely trying to make good decisions. I don't think they're banking on getting number one pick or going zero and sixteen or anything like that. You know, they they have another first round pick now. If they have some success this year and win, I'm not saying six, seven, eight wins is success, but when you're going from three and thirteen and what everybody perceives as a huge rebuilding project, you know, six, seven, eight wins is actually not that bad. So. If they could win that well, many games, eight and wins would be package the picks, trade up. Eight know, wins would be incredible. I think they'll have options. Yeah, I agree with you. Eight I wins. agree, but but you, you look at uh, what Hugh Jackson did in Oakland, though, and I mean, he did a great job with that group, and I think they hadn't had much success before he got there. So Correct. maybe he'll be able to motivate these guys. You know, it's a bunch of young players. Um, hopefully, they're hungry. Um, but I think that uh, I think that they have a chance to. Surprise some people. I'm not expecting this to be a three and thirteen team again, but you never know though when you consider the talent level right now. But I don't think they're banking on that at all. It's an ugly schedule, there's no doubt about it. And I certainly don't blame Vegas for putting the Browns at hundred and seventy five to one to win the Super Bowl when the next worst odds were like fifty five to one. Um it's an ugly schedule. It's gonna be a it's gonna be a battle all the way through. And I, you know, I understand why someone would look at that schedule and think, wow, this team may not win any games. But then again, okay, it's the schedule. You got to actually play all these games and not all those teams mm-hmm. are going to be what you think they are when you get to the actual season. So I just, it, it's going to be fun to see how it all plays out or maybe it won't be. But I, I have, uh, I have at least enjoyed sort of the, the refreshing air around the organization. When you, when you watch the people that are running it, they are confident they're calm I, I i am not at all worried about any of the free agent losses i didn't love losing losing uh, schwartz under the circumstances and given what he was what he ended up signing in kansas city for but aside from that i i, I mean i basically understand why they might have just taken a look at this whole thing and god there's there's no need to go spending a ton of money on those guys at this step in our franchise development because we can get close enough to the same performance from guys that we can get for for far less va- or far better value anyway i don't mean to keep soapboxing that stuff but uh like i said it's been 3 months so some of this stuff is just backed up and has to get off my chest all right man i think we've uh, we've about worn out the draft for now tell me uh any final thoughts before we let you go on this one I don't have any. I'm just looking forward to sitting back and enjoying the draft, man. It's it's exciting. It's an exciting time for NFL fans. It's, it's the Super Bowl for most of the fan bases, in my opinion. It's, so it's, it's going to be exciting. And and if you really enjoy the draft, as you and I both do, um, it's just a fun a fun weekend. How about how about one last fun question? The pick. Let's assume they're taking the pick at eight. Who is the player they could draft that would most make you turn to the liquor immediately? Oh, Paxton Lynch. <laughs> and with that, we leave you. That was Brendan Leister, everyone. We agree wholeheartedly. Find him on Twitter, at Brendan Leister. Find his work at the Orange and Brown Report, which is the scout.com affiliate for your Cleveland Browns. And uh, we'll catch you uh, probably next week or the week after. Brendan, we'll, do a, we'll get a post-draft analysis in, and uh, we'll run down the what I assume will be rather large 2016 Cleveland Browns draft class. All right, that was my conversation with Brendan Leister. As I said, you can catch a lot of Brendan's work at the Orange and Brown Report. He's got individual scouting reports for all sorts of prospects in this year's draft up. Go there, check it out immediately. Find him at Brendan Leister. 
Let's move now to my conversation with Pete Smith. Pete Smith does all kinds of work uh, for the NFL spin zone and for draft breakdown and certainly has strong views about what the Browns ought and ought not to do. Here's my talk with Pete. All right, and glad to have back with me on this episode of the Browns Note Podcast again, our old friend Pete Smith, who you can find on Twitter at underscore Pete Smith underscore. Uh, you can find him at Draft Breakdown, NFL Spin Zone. Uh, Pete, help me. Am I forgetting anything? Nope, that's it. All right, so check him out in those two places. A lot of good conversation on Twitter. That's certainly where we became first familiar with one another. And Pete, it's been, I think I mentioned in the open there, it's been about 90 days since I did a, a Browns note, and there has obviously been a little bit of change and a little bit of uh, action within the organization over the course of that time. Give me sort of your your general thoughts on, I mean, I, I don't need the whole, you know, rigmarole about the, the hires and all that, but just the way they've proceeded from a personnel standpoint and from sort of a, a planning and strategy standpoint heading into this draft in terms of what they did in free agency and what, what it kind of looks like uh, their plan is going to be, or at least the way they intend to go about this draft. Um, for the most part, Everything they've done seems pretty logical. Uh, the only thing I'd sort of quibble with a little bit maybe is Carlos Dansby getting released, but that may have been doing him a favor, and I can't blame him for that if they did. Uh, but in general, you know, they didn't sign really a single I don't, I, I don't think they signed a single unrestricted free agent, maybe as one, and it was some minor guy that sort of canceled out nothing. So all the compensatory pick sort of losses are set up for, for next year, so they're going to get, you know, as many as four picks, maybe a third, hopefully a third, uh, a couple fourths and, and a fifth. They haven't done anything to get in the way of that, which is good. They seem to be trying to do everything they can to amass assets. I can't really argue with that given the needs of the team. And, and, you know, the one thing they haven't done, which I'm very happy with, is they haven't even sniffed at the idea of getting rid of Joe Thomas despite the amount of ridiculous speculation on it because I'm sorry, it's a stupid, stupid idea. Yeah, I'm with you on that. I don't really intend to spend any time on it because I think it speaks for itself. I mean, look, the guy's a Hall of Fame player. He's 31. He's not 35. He's giving you no indication he intends to retire. And he's a guy. He's the kind of guy that wants to be here to help you turn it around. If Look, if Joe Thomas comes to me and says, look, trade me. Okay, maybe I'm listening to that, but that's about the extent of it to me. I'm not going out and shopping the guy. If people call me and they want to give me their entire draft, am I at least listening to the conversation? Sure. But, I mean, at the end of the day, you're talking about creating a big gaping hole on what does not have to be a weakness of the team. For me, it, it's sort of the Thomas thing is all about assuming that they are total, totally uh, fire-selling the whole thing and that they view themselves as a total tear-down and rebuild. And I'm not at all convinced, just based on the moves that they've made all, all offseason, that that's the way they see themselves at all. I think they see an opportunity, like you mentioned, with all those um, compensatory picks to sort of remake not only the culture but the, the general act, you know, athletic personnel of the team in the next couple of years. And I think there's probably just something to be said for they looked at some of those veterans and thought, you know, we can get similar enough production at such vastly less money that this just doesn't make sense at some point. And so really the economics of the game, I mean, wherever you come down on all those free agent um, quote-unquote losses, you know, to me the only one that really drives me nuts is Schwartz. And that just, honestly, that's only because I thought he got signed for such a reasonable amount in Kansas City. Well, 
The, the problem is the Browns screwed up, but so did Schwartz's agent. And, and if, if you're telling me that Jeff Schwartz, that uh, Mitchell Schwartz is the best right tackle on football last year, I agree. If you're telling me that the salary cap went up 10% and that he got the second highest right tackle contract, somebody didn't do a very good job of getting maxing out their clients money. I think this is a situation where, where basically the Browns and uh, Schwartz's agent basically needed to get over themselves, come back to the table and just figure it out where he could be the highest paid tackle in football. They could keep him, and we wouldn't need to be having conversations about, you know, drafting a, a right tackle in the top 10 if that's ultimately what they're trying to do. Well, and I think that's a perfect segue, and that's where I was going next. It, that suddenly seems to be one of the hotter ideas about what they might do with their draft pick. Now, of course, they're at number eight rather than at number two, where we expected them to be when we last spoke. But um, and we'll get we'll get to the trade and the compensation and all that at some juncture um, in this conversation, I'm sure. But let's just start talking about some of the players and some of the needs. Uh, you look at that that eight slot, and to me, it just opens up an entire universe of possibilities. And if they if they were as has been rumored uh, by by several people, that they are interested in moving down at least a handful of more spots, maybe to a Miami, um, maybe down to uh, to a few spots below Miami. Y- you know, you start opening up the entire possibility of roster spots to just take the, the best guy on your board, fill your, you know, fill your team up with good players and, and move forward with all the picks that you have. But if let's assume for a moment that they stay at eight. How... You know, people talk about the offensive line. I still don't think it's going to be a weakness. I think, I, but granted, this there are some contingencies there. You, you you better hope that Cam Irving is going to be an effective center. I don't need him to dominate. He needs to be effective, and he needs to keep people off of his quarterback, and that's it. Um, it are they desperate for the right tackle, or do do you think that they feel like, and how do you feel about it, like they can probably man a line with a right tackle based on what they have in the room right now? Um, the best way I can describe it is they've got four starting spots. Uh, they've got obviously Thomas, they've got Irving, they've got some combination of Pastor and, and Greco. And I'm more convinced that Pastor of those two, I have a feeling and I could be loud wrong on this as Greco won't be here, uh, come the season because I don't think he fits what they want to do. And I think at some point they'll either trade him or, sort of cut him because he could actually be a really nice player for his own scheme. I'm looking at Atlanta for that. Uh, but uh, so Batonio becomes the sort of the magic, you know, extra guy and all indications are that he's going to stay at left guard. However, I think the Browns are sort of playing open their options and mm. saying that if they come to the board and they, you know, somebody drops at eight uh, that they love, like let's say Zeke Elliott, they love Zeke Elliott. So at some point the, the draft sort of plays itself out. And if they find themselves where they're like, this insert guard is just so good, we want him. And then you get, get into a situation where you can say, well, this, the best five guys we have, but Tony would be the best right tackle. That makes sense. And there's no question in my mind that Botonio has the athleticism to play any of the five spots. So it's not a question of if Batonio can do it. It's a question of uh, basically just how long you want to take to get him equipped to do it. The other uh, counter argument is basically saying, well, you know, Vittonio is really good at guard now, and we could have a dominating left side with him and, and Thomas, and you have sort of a what was Brian McKinney and Steve Hutchinson situation over there, and you're just going to say, well, we're, we're going to run left. We're going to pull our right guard and go left. 
and you're going to have to try and stop us. And that, it's hard to argue with that. I mean, certainly bookend tackles sound very good, but there's always an attractive option of of having a, a stud like Batonio who can also help with youngster Irving, who I really do believe is going to be fine. And I thought it was very telling that Batonio sort of going out on a limb for him. He didn't have to do it. Uh, and, and that may be a little more added pressure for Irving to step up, which is probably good for him. But uh, indications are he's like a different dude. So I'm, I'm hoping like I, I wrote about that week 16 last year, I saw a dude that cared. Uh, I saw a guy that had Absolutely. some pride. Absolutely. And that was very key for him. So, yeah, I think if, if there's a tackle, uh, it, you know, if Laramie Tunsil's there at eight, I don't think he will be. Well, yeah. I, as much as right <laughs> tackle would be, un, as much as right tackle would be unsatisfying as a pick, I'd at least understand the methodology but if they get into a situation later on and they take like a Josh Garnett or a Christian Westerman and they go, well, you know, we've got to get these guys on the field and let's go ahead and move Batonio to right tackle. I'm not going to argue with that either. I think I, I like the fact that they have options. I don't think they're, they're pigeonholing themselves one way or the other. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense to me. I hadn't really thought about that too much, but you could move Batonio over there very justifiably and expect him to do well. And there are all kinds of reasons why you might or might not want to do that. But you mentioned Garnett. That was the one guy that immediately jumped into my mind when you thought about that, or when you mentioned that just because of where they are situated in the draft. I figure somewhere at the end of the first or the early part of second is where that guy's going to end up going. And uh, I'm just, I'm sort of a fan. Seen him a lot out here. But at any rate, so it doesn't sound to me like you think right tackle is necessarily what they absolutely are fiending over. To me, the option, certainly I would have to keep tackle open as an option at the eight spot, but I think it's probably a couple of spots down the option list unless, like you say, a tunsil drops down, which I just can't see happening. Um, what are the other sort of obvious ones? You mentioned Zeke Elliott, to me, makes a ton of sense at eight if they're there, although there is sort of that question about the running back value factor. I'll let you comment on that as you see fit. To me, there are a couple of possibilities in terms of defenders. Obviously, there are uh, there are guys like um, like I know Buckner, DeForest Buckner out of Oregon is one is one that you're a big fan of. If Joey Bosa were to somehow be there, maybe that's an option. Uh, a lot of talk about Miles Jack. I personally don't think. Um, I, I guess I just don't see them going after that linebacker position. Even even leaving the knee stuff aside at that juncture in the draft in this stage of their building. I mean, I, I personally think I don't think there are a lot of people out there that thinks Miles Jack is are, is more special than I do. But I, I just I don't see that being a what they would do, and B, I'm not sure I would think it was all that prudent, even if he were healthy. So I, that's sort of my take on it, even though I love the kid. Um, and then there's always the question of what happens if they decide that they want the best skill position on the board, and it isn't Zeke, because he's already gone to, say, a Dallas or even a Baltimore. I, I, Baltimore with Zeke scares the crap out of me, because to me, they need him as much as anybody else does. Um, so... Tell me about your options there. I was going to mention the wide receivers, and and it feels a little early for the wide receivers, but then you look at these last couple of drafts, those dudes are coming off the board early. That's the fact. Um, I, uh, receiver-wise, I don't see anybody special enough to warrant that, although I've said that in the past and someone did something stupid, so we'll see. Uh, I, I love Laquan Treadwell. I wish he would have tested better. I still think he's going to be a very good player. Uh, I would let me, want let me to stop you there, Pete, because I don't care how he tested. I want that guy on my team if I can get him for the right price. He, he, he's so fun. Uh, I and, it's, and the thing I love about Treadwell is I think there's a part of Hugh Jackson that just looks at him and goes, I want this guy in my offense because he wants to play power O. 
And whether it's on the outside or in the slot, Laquan Treadwell just wants to beat the crap out of the guy across from him, whether he's got the ball in his hands or he's blocking. So there's certainly an attractive quality there. He's my top guy. There's no question about that. But I'd want to move down before. Uh, Buckner, to me, is the prize. Uh, even at two, if the Browns uh, weren't satisfied with the quarterbacks, Buckner was my guy. I think he is just – if you look at Calais Campbell – I think Buckner can be that. Uh, some, you know, some people argue he can be better than Campbell. But if you can get a guy who is in his last seven seasons has been a 300 pounder who can hold that five and is seven sacks a year, I mean, you know, who, who's going to complain about that? It's it give us a dynamic playmaker on that spot that, that's killing us. Uh, basically, every other team in this division, like uh, you know, Cam Hayward, is basically the one guy keeping the Steelers defense. Uh, looking effective. He's that one-man wrecking crew. Miles Jack, uh, I hated the idea of taking Miles Jack at two. I absolutely despised it. Oh, as you should. I always thought that was ridiculous. There's just no way you're taking a linebacker at number two unless he's getting 15 sacks a year. Right. It's it's, Even if he's great, let's say he's a a multiple-time pro bowler, he could be a great linebacker, but if one of those quarterbacks or one of these edge guys, you know, is great, you're always going to be, well, yeah, but, and that's, that's a really horrible situation to put a guy like Jack in. Uh, at eight, it's interesting. I think he'd be a great fit for what the Browns want to do defensively. And the, the, what makes it very interesting to me is if, if he gets down to eighth pick and he's sitting on the clock, I'm very interested to see what they do purely because Hugh Jackson has the exact same animation as Miles Jack. So if there is a guy who has any sort of slight inside information about Miles Jack's knee, maybe it's Hugh Jackson. So if for whatever reason they hand in the card and they take Miles Jack, they've got to have some confidence that he's going to be around. Uh, and then this whole thing smoke and, and everything else. And I, for Jack's sake, I hope that's the case. I'd love to see him go be special. Oh yeah, uh, preferably preferably Jacksonville, not Baltimore. But I'd like to see the kid be that be that, be that special player. Um, Bosa is a tremendous player. Uh, the only problem I have with Bosa, well, there's two problems. First, the Browns defense doesn't naturally sort of fit uh, him unless they are confident he can sort of hold down that five spot on the end. Uh, and Bosa seems to want to be more of a base end guy. And if that's the case, like he weighed 269 at the combine, for example, maybe that was purely for testing sake, but he did test that way. So there's something to wonder there. But uh, he sounds like he wants to be more of a base guy, and I'd hate to stand him up. I just think that would be a criminal way to use him. Uh, and then it's a question of where you're going to put him with all the, the guys they have at that spot. You may not, may not like our outside linebackers. God knows we have a ton of them. Uh, and the other problem with that is there are a lot of talks about Joey Bosa and drugs, and specifically that he refused to test, take a drug test at the combine, saying that he's got a prescription for Adderall, for whatever he needs that for. And basically teams said they weren't buying it. Basically he was hiding that he was going to test positive for something much harder. If that's true, they'll be curious to see where, how that rears its ugly head. Um, to a smaller extent, Zeke Elliott sort of attached to that and the fact that they're both sort of rumored, allegedly, all that with party drugs. Uh, but in terms of just Zeke the player, 
to me, he's more than a running back. It's not just getting a running back. You're getting a, a, a running back who's also a legit weapon. Uh, you know, one of my favorite backs ever was Marshall Falk, and because he was such a everything, he could – I mean, he was so remarkably intelligent, he knew everything on the offense. Now, Zeke may, may not be quite to that point, but he's a guy you can line up out wise. You can have him lead block. You can have him do basically anything – and so he's not just like uh, Todd Gurley, where you're just handing him the ball. He can do a lot of things. If you want to compare him to Matt Forte, uh, you know, a guy who can get you a thousand on the ground, five hundred in the air. You know, I'm all in for that. Uh, especially when you have a guy like Duke Johnson, who already can give you sort of like dynamic playmaker. So you know, if you're Hugh Jackson, there's a lot of fun things you can do with that. Um, and then uh, Laramie Tunsil, he's the best tackle in the class. Uh, the only question is with him to the medical. Did his lead come back? Everything okay from the, the leg injury he suffered uh, last year, the broken fibula? Uh, everything on his play suggested he's fine, but you never know with that. Uh, he So, I mean, the thing with trading down to eight, there to me there are basically five and really four players that they could get. Uh, the problem is those five or four players can all go before they get back on the – before they get on the clock. And so you're stuck in this no man's land where you're picking either a position you really don't need or a position you might need, but you're not sure about. And it's just sort of an unsatisfying situation. Suddenly you're talking to about hopefully trading down. And I don't know how realistic that becomes. I, the, the stuff that would be really uh, disappointing to me would be picking somebody like a Ronnie Stanley or any of the tackles mentioned. Those, yeah. Just, no, the I'm, only way I'm going to be okay. Yeah. The only way I'm going to be okay with a right tackle is to me if they drop down, pick up some more picks, and they're taking them in the teens or something like that, and then it's just okay. Maybe that's the best guy on their board, and it's a big position, and you know they want to get substantially better at in the trenches, and and I guess I you know I could live with that, but it, to me at some point, man, we got to start doing some things to score touchdowns, um, and and you know I, I I certainly don't doubt that Hugh Jackson intends to score touchdowns, and and I certainly don't. You know, it, I'm going to talk out of both sides of my mouth a little bit here because I'm I'm always going to be the guy that believes in building from the trenches, uh, but I just feel like the offensive line is far from their biggest need, uh, unless unless Hugh thinks he's going to be trying to hold off elite pass rushers for long periods of time to drop back and play deep ball. I just I guess I, I mean, you do want to protect what you got, but it, it seems to me that there are going to be some opportunities to address that position a little further down in the draft. Um, either by doing what you were talking about, by moving Batonio over and getting a really good guard, or by finding somebody. And I know there are some, some, you know, a tackle prospect or two a little later in the draft that we'll talk about in just a few minutes uh, that you like. But when you start to look at those, the, you know, the late, the late, excuse me, the early second round pick, what is number 32, but will be the first pick of the second round because New England was uh, stripped of their, their pick for something or other. And, uh, you know, it's a, it's a good thing to be, or at least it's always said, it's a cliche certainly at this point, that it is good to be in control of that first pick on Friday. And as it turns out, they're also in control of the first two picks on Saturday, which to me may be equally valuable in this particular draft. Um, and, and frankly, when you're talking about all those picks, I, I, I do start to think about, okay, are they really going to ignore quarterback to the point of just taking one several rounds later? Um, I know your position on it, and you wrote on it this week, was that, look, if they're not going to get Wentz and Goff, and it certainly appears at this juncture that they're not, uh, then they ought to either A, take Paxton Lynch, or B, just 
scrap it and wait till next year. And I, I, I read it, and I think it's a valid argument, and I don't really have any problem with it if that's the way they decide to go, except for the part about taking Paxton Lynch, with that, which I'm just categorically opposed to. It's just not my guy. But um, from a conceptual standpoint, I have no problem with it. On the other hand, I do actually have a decent amount of um, intrigue, I guess, wrapped up in two or three or four of these theoretically developmental, quote-unquote, prospect quarterbacks, be they Cardale Jones, although I would argue it would have to be really late. Um, I, I, you know, I like Cook, but I know why people don't. There, there are a few guys anyway. Um, and, and I guess I'd love to have you just talk a little bit about why those kinds of guys, you know, uh, you look down at Cincinnati, they got Dalton where they got him in the second round, right about where the Browns are picking in the second round. Why is something like that not a reasonable plan for the Browns in this draft? Well, first, I'm probably coming around on your side with the Lynch thing. I saw the Wunderlich score, and that scares the hell out of me. <laughs> it's just, I actually really like him on tape. See, for me, it's the mustache. He, he's, he's got a lot of tools, but yeah. Anyway, so that's why I didn't even mention him at the eighth pick anymore. Uh, so, uh, offensive tackle, if the Browns were going to trade down, I would say the only guy I want is Taylor Decker. He fits what they want to do. He's a road grader. Uh, that's why I can't stand the idea of Ronnie Stanley. He's the ultimate Bill Polian soft pass protecting tackle. That would just drive me nuts. Uh, but the Joe Haig's a guy I love. Uh, Protected Carson Wentz's blind side. Absolutely adore him. Played 60 games in North Dakota State because of the FCS playoffs. Uh, tough kid. Just wants to get after it. Really intelligent. But to the quarterback question, um, it just comes down to reps. And specifically, I'm looking forward to next year. Like this year, if you took a quarterback, like a third-string quarterback, let's say Kevin Hogan's a popular one because Pep Hamilton coached him and they've got a connection. Supposedly like him. Let's say you bring him in, you're trying to get as many reps as humanly possible for RG3, uh, and then, you know, Josh McCown isn't going to need a ton of reps. He just isn't. He's a smart kid. He's going to know what, what smart he's, hell, he's the old guy. I am. Uh, smart guy, really, really team-oriented, wants these younger guys to succeed. He's not going to be a guy who complains. So Kevin Hogan would probably get a good amount of reps in development. The problem is next year, let's say, God willing, Philadelphia goes 0-16. The Browns beat them week one. They're so distraught. They're so forlorn. They can't get over themselves, and they lose out the rest of the season. And suddenly the Browns are sitting there staring Deshaun Watson in the face. He's probably going to be the number one guy. Uh, if you could have, you probably would have Larry Bird ruled him this year uh, to basically reserve him for next year. Uh, let's say you're staring him in the face, uh, which is exactly what the Rams ran into. They took Sean Mannion last year in round three. Now they've traded up. Uh, to get Jared Goff, presumably, with the first pick of the draft. Now suddenly Sean Mannion's sort of just a guy. His reps are going to be cut. There's just Because of the way the CBA has recently been negotiated, and even before that, it's not like you're getting a lot of reps with the third-string guy, the developmental guy. So he's not you know, getting a ton of opportunities to get better. That's why there's so few third-string developmental guys that actually progress, especially now. Uh, so let's say you took Kevin Hogan and you got Deshaun Watson. What are you going to want? You're going to want Deshaun Watson to get every human, rep humanly possible. You've still got RG3 there. and you, as, as, Assuming he's not injured, you're still going to want to get him reps. Now suddenly Kevin Hogan's just sitting there, uh, not really getting developed. And, and maybe Kevin Hogan or whoever they were to, would pick is such a self-starter that he's going to sort of push himself. But that's what scares me with a guy like Cardale Jones 
is Urban Meyer sort of hinted pretty strongly he needs somebody to sort of look after him. Relationship is really important. So if he suddenly goes from sort of this golden boy, uh, everybody's super excited about him to, you know, the third string, you know, nothing, he's not probably not going to react very well. Uh, so to me, if you're asking me, would I rather get, use a pick, uh, let's say, because, you know, Cardell Jones may go in the third round uh, because people are crazy. Would I rather use a third-round pick on a third-string quarterback or, what, or developmental guy, or would I rather use a position player that can help the guy you're assuming is going to help you get right. uh, the the next franchise guy going? I'd rather get a player that can help me. I, you know, I don't know how many picks you can use on guys that aren't going to do much for you, especially on this team and the way they sort of they yeah. have not torn it down to the studs, but there are enough holes where you can you can really use some guys that can help you. Yeah, you know, I guess where I was going with the developmental quarterback thought is, you know, uh, I, let's assume for the sake of the conversation that Hugh Jackson has somebody picked out that he thinks to himself, well, let's if I could get that guy, I'd really like him, uh, but I got to get him for the right price, and you know, it's going to take a little time and whatever. But I, you know, you hear names associated that quote unquote supposedly Hugh Jackson just loves, and it's everybody from Cardale to Dak Prescott to Connor Cook to. Um, you mentioned Kevin Hogan. I've heard that one this week all of a sudden uh, to even Jacoby Brissett. There are all kinds of names that people bring up wherever they get them. Um, I guess my thinking is you've got all these picks, and I do assume they're going to you know, they're gonna lose one or two of them just in the course of trading around and so forth, but uh, you've got all these picks, and it does seem a little irresponsible to not draft a quarterback somewhere as as almost a lottery ticket. I I know what you're saying where you've got this opportunity to really build your team, but there doesn't there come a point somewhere in the draft where the value on the shot becomes worthwhile? Well, probably. It's just probably my concept of that value is not going to be where most people are. Right. Uh, two other names I think I've heard thrown out quite a bit. Uh Dowdy from West Western Kentucky supposedly is is a guy they love and then uh hmm. Big Sudfeld from Indiana. I don't really get that one, but yeah, Dowdy seems to be one they may have may have honed in on. So we'll see. I mean, interesting. Q Jackson's going to want quarterbacks. It's just the nature of the beast. That's what he wants to coach. That's you know that's where he sort of uh, made his name uh, and offense in general. So it wouldn't surprise me. It's just from a general construct. I'm I can easily find twelve picks I can use that aren't on a quarterback, and right. I agree with you. I think half the reason they made the trade was so they could maneuver up and down uh, to to get guys specifically that they're aiming for as opposed to just getting a lot of guys. Right, and and getting them at good value and collecting additional picks for the future in the process. And I think there's a lot to that. Um, You heard a report this week that what they're trying to do is control next year's draft. Well, I assume what they're trying to do is get in a position to control the draft every year for the next 10 years because that's what you want to do is start building up these hordes of draft picks out into the future so that you have the freedom and the flexibility to maneuver and and master the draft in terms of getting the guys you truly want but at the spots they ought to be drafted and at their optimum value. And so there really is an art to that. The best teams, no matter how much people want to say, well, who cares where you get him as long as he's a good player, the best teams maximize that stuff. That's the whole point. That kind of tiny little marginal success 
is the difference between greatness and just kind of playing around. And that, to me, is why you that those margins and uh, and how to find them are what De Podesta was brought in to do. So I'm very curious to see how they go about employing all these picks this year. Um, a few more thoughts, Pete. How how about just generally? Let's talk. We haven't really done the the twenty thousand foot view of sort of draft needs, and I know they're on every other website in the world. Uh, but I always like to get everybody's sort of individual views on on sort of the priorities of them because I think I mean you could argue about a lot of things but number one they need defensive line number two they need skill position players they need guys that are going to score touchdowns you know I we're going to get to wide receiver I, I I think they double up on wide receiver at some juncture but I could be totally all wet about that um, sort of give me your give me your feeling on draft needs but first I'm going to give you a, a platform question to do it from, and let's start here. I'm going to give you an option. You can have DeForest Buckner at eight and um, Laquan Treadwell at, let's say they moved up from 32 to get Treadwell at, say, 20-something. Or you can have Zeke Elliott at eight and Chris Jones at 32. Oh, man. That's a tough choice. Those are both really good. Um, I'd probably take uh, Buckner and Treadwell uh, just because I think they're both more inclined to be special. I do really love Chris Jones uh, because I think he fits exactly what Horton wants. That was the whole point of the question was to really just test your Chris Jones love because Chris Jones Mm -hmm. for me is the guy each of the last two years you've, you've really turned me on to a defensive lineman. And this one, this one, this year it's Chris Jones. Last year it was Preston Smith. And so please do (laughs) wax on about, about Chris Jones. And then give me your thoughts on the draft needs as we asked. Well, he's six. He's a legit six, six, three, ten. He actually ran a faster three cone than Buckner did, uh, which is dangling bandit. Really nimble. (laughs) He's really nimble for for a three hundred ten pound guy. So I mean, that's the key of these five technique guys is is uh, getting guys who are big enough to play defensive tackle, but athletic enough to play end. And the one I think Orton, the style I think he wants is really difficult to find. It's not just finding that two hundred eighty pound guy you can sort of kick out there. He wants, seems to want a legitimate defensive tackle who's just athletic, uh, basically a big hog molly. I mean, you look at the two, last two places he coached, he had Calais Campbell in Arizona, and he had Daquan Jones. It wasn't exactly an ideal fit, but he's still 320 pounds. So Chris Jones, 6'6", 310, is a guy who can hold that five technique. He's athletic enough to make sure he's not going to get reached to the outside. He can give you a little bit of something as a pass rush. And then he can move up and down the line, so you get an extra dimension of versatility and that he can slide inside and help you as, a, as another three, or he can slide in and, and potentially be a pass rushing one or zero. So, I mean, he gives you a lot of options. But my, my whole thing is I think Orton wants a wall so he can have little fast guys run behind that wall uh, and just make plays. And, and Chris Jones, to me, is a guy who can do that. But Buckner is obviously more productive. He had, uh, you know, 19 tackles for loss and 10 and a half sacks. I mean, he's just remarkable, and he's not really figured out what he's doing yet. So, I mean, he could get a lot better. Uh, whereas Chris Jones sort of is what he is. I think he's got a little bit of upside, but he's basically just a big, big wall of man meat uh, that you're hoping isn't going to get moved. And then also has the ability to sort of collapse the pocket and, and really help the pass rush that way to hopefully create 
some more opportunities for guys like Mingo, well, the newly inflated, inflated Mingo, Kruger, and, and some of these guys, and hopefully Nate Orchard, that uh, you know, speed on the outside, power on the inside can sort of uh, wreak havoc. Yeah, that's, I mean, to me, where they really have an opportunity to make a massive improvement from last year into this year is on defense. I mean, I, I just think the coaching is, even though I have my, my questions about Horton based on the last time through, I think he's an infinitely better coach than Jim O'Neill. I think the guys that were being misused last year are much more likely to be put in positions to do things that they're good at. And so I'm excited about those things. And I do think that the addition of one or two really good players in the higher rounds of the draft, be they a guy like Buckner or be they a guy like Jones, um, no matter, I think one of those kinds of players is probably in their first two picks. I just, I, I really do think a front seven player is likely to be one of their first two picks. Now, obviously, uh, depending on kind of what they do moving up and around, that can change. But I, I just think it's really important, especially especially along that defensive line. I mean, I, I guess I could see the, the one guy, I really do like Shaq Lawson. So if for some reason they were in a position to get him later than he ought to be there, uh, I could see where he would fit. But I can also see where he might be considered sort of a luxury given everything everything that they do have, even though it's somewhat unproven and unproductive so far at that position and, and their needs elsewhere. So tell me about sort of what else you think they're coming out of this draft with. When you look at this, I mean, do you agree with me on the wide receiver doubling up idea? I mean, the skill positions to me, they just they got to start adding guys that can really make plays and help out a quarterback. The skill position thing, I agree now after they acquired those extra picks. Now all of a sudden you have this flexibility where you can add a guy early and a guy late. So like a guy I really like, and it'll remain to be seen how early it actually costs to get him to Sharon Peak from Clemson, uh, 6'3", 215, and his testing numbers are pretty much identical to Josh Gordon, except he's not an idiot off the field. Uh, he had a, some a knee issues, and he's a little raw, but uh, you know, seeing him as on the senior bowl, he can go get a deep ball. And for a guy like RG3 now, that's something he could really enjoy having and then next year, you know, he may be better, uh, whether it's to get, you know, Watson or whomever, but he's a guy who fits now and then a guy who fits down the road. And, and, and specifically, it's just not just receiver to me, it's outside receiver. They've got 50 slot receivers, right. it feels like. They need right. somebody who can move up outside uh, that, that can help you there. So, I mean, if you get where to get like a Sharon Peak in the third or, third or fourth round and then come back and get, you know, a, a Malcolm Mitchell or a, a Jay Lee late, That'd be pretty sweet for me. Where can uh, I get Jordan very Payton? Good Who's that? Where can I get Jordan Payton? I have a feeling he's going to be a value pick that goes in the end of day three and then just sticks around the league for half a dozen years. I agree. He's just he's just really perfect. I like I love Eric Yarbrough, the, uh, the Yarbrough, the coach, the wide receivers coach at UCLA. Every time I watch one of his guys, they just seem super polished and and professional. So it wouldn't hurt my feelings in the least to bring in a guy like Jared Payton. He's not terribly dynamic, but he's got really good straight line speed, and he's just going to go where he's supposed to. That's just what what he what he's been coached to do. And so he's going to catch the football. Wouldn't bother me in the least. And he's going to catch it. Uh, but beyond that, so much of what I want to come out of this draft with is what Mike Pettin and company said they wanted to do last year, uh, which is stop the stop the run uh, and run the ball and getting the pieces necessary to do that. So five-second end uh, would make me very happy. Uh, be, 
Buckner, Chris Jones. That gives you a real, what to me would look like a really impressive a six-man group overall. Uh, Des Bryant becomes sort of a rotational player who can do what he does best, which is the passer. I really like, I think Danny Sheldon's going to have a big year. I, John Hughes is solid. I really like where Xavier Cooper could be going. And then Jamie Meter was a nice player. So if you're telling me that's my six-man group, I like where that can go. Um, at the same time, obviously, it's finishing the offensive line, finding that fifth guy, or if they even want to add two, I could, you know, it wouldn't, wouldn't bother me in the least. And then uh, getting a tight end who can actually block. Uh, that does not mean they have to get a specific blocking tight end. It's not the end of the world if you get somebody who can block and run routes, uh, whether it's a Nick Van Nett, whether it's you an Austin Hooper. You mean a tight end? <laughs> Basically, yeah. I mean, it'd be nice to get somebody. Look, I would love to get Jordan Cameron back and just have him and Gary Barnes just call themselves receivers and be done with it. But neither one of them does it. <laughs> so, yeah, the, the, you know, there that, are a couple of kids in this draft team. that can do that, right? Uh, yeah, Vanette from Ohio State. I, you know, he's a guy. I think he's going to be a better pro than a college player. Austin Hooper from Stanford's a guy I think can play. Uh, and then later on, I think Ben Broniker, the kid from. Harvard, one of three Harvard kids that should be drafted this year, which is going to be more than Texas, uh, should should be a guy who can help you. And, and uh, there's a kid from Montana, I think, Bo Sandlin, who uh, spent, spent some time in Miami, who could help you. I mean, there's a lot of options there. Late guy that might not even get drafted, Darian Griswold, Arkansas State's a guy I wouldn't mind bringing in. There's a lot of options in that spot. And then the other part of that is getting a running back who can see. Now, I think is going to be better uh, because I think they're going to make it too too easy for him to to screw up as far as where to go, which is what uh, Flip found out figured out at the end of last year. Just make it too make it too impossible to screw up, and he'll run fine. I I, I love Duke Johnson. I just love Duke Johnson sort of a, a weapon as opposed to just a pure running back. Right. So it sort of leads to finding that actual running back, and whether that's Zeke. Or that's getting a guy like uh, Kenneth Dixon, or maybe even waiting a little bit later and getting a guy uh, like Jonathan Williams from Arkansas. Ooh. Somewhere you have to find a tailback. Yep. Just I, I don't I, care if it's early or late. Yeah, get I, somebody who can run the ball. I agree with you completely on that one. I don't. I don't believe for a second that Hugh Jackson is going to look at what Duke Johnson does and think, "Yeah, this is the guy that I want to be jamming in between the tackles." Twenty, you know, ten, fifteen, twenty carries a game. Um, I, I don't think that's what he is going to see. I think he's going to see the guy more in the Gio Bernard role, and he's going to look for somebody in the hammer role. And, and that could be Zeke. That could be somebody later, like you said. I, I happen to love Devontae Booker. I don't know if that's the kind of guy they'd, they'd be willing to, to go after or not. But to me, he's a worker, workhorse kind of guy. He's not going to blow anybody away with the home run speed. But then again, you've got Duke for sort of the lightning idea. And any, Anyway, there are a bunch of those kinds of guys. You mentioned Jonathan uh, Williams out of Arkansas. That's a guy I really have always liked. Uh, he's coming off an injury, of course, and so you might be able to get him for a little bit of value. But, Pete, real quick before we go, let me throw some sort of lightning round questions at you. Uh, you, you. You covered it with the wide receivers. Tell me, you can't get Ramsey. Who's your next favorite safety in the draft? Um, if you could cut, you know, I think the Browns might need a safety out of this draft. They may be happy with what they've got, but if you were going to get a safety other than Ramsey out of this draft, who is it? Well, they, they need a safety. They need a strong safety to back up uh, Ibrahim Campbell. I think they're going to sort of muddle through with, with Raheem Moore and Jordan Poyer, free safety. But if I could have any of them, I would take uh, uh, Carl Joseph from West Virginia. That would be if you got basically Buckner in that 
first round and came back and he's sitting there at the top of the second round because he's coming off that injury. Uh, he's, he's a stud, but if you're talking about guys that might be more realistic later, Kevin Bayard from middle Tennessee state, uh, the kid from, uh, Southern Utah, uh, I can't remember his name, but th- th- those box safety types, I think my theory is that, that, uh, Orton wants one of them. Uh, Abraham Campbell's a guy who loves to play downhill. He can play deep and come up and I think he's going to be good. I loved him last year. Uh, but I think he's also going to want basically what a quasi linebacker is, uh, at that spot, like he had with TJ Ward. I think he'd like to find that guy to pair with them. So Kevin Byard is the one I really like. Middle Tennessee State didn't get the, get invited to the combine. And if I make you, Pete, can't be Lynch, I make you take a quarterback. I'm not going to pin you down to a round or where it would be. Any of the non top three guys, which is the guy you would most want to gamble your job on? I'd probably take Driscoll from Louisiana Tech, and it's basically just because he's a really impressive athlete who can throw the ball a little bit. Uh, I don't know if he's got super long-term prospects, but, I mean, in terms of just picking a guy who's played, who has tools, and, and may be able to get a lot better, uh, he's interesting. I mean, he t- if you actually took his athleticism, he tests well as a receiver, so he's, he's at least intriguing. And at eight, do you expect them to take that pick, or do you think there's a better than even chance that they're trading out of it again? I'm look. I'm really hoping they're going to take the pick because the whole argument with uh, going down from two to eight was people going, well, you know, you can't trade down from two because you're going to miss the chance to get a great player. Well, if you're at eight, you can still get a great player. Right. When you trade down from eight then you can sort of run into questions if you're going to actually get a great player. So I'm thinking they're going to stay. Certainly they have, they're doing their due diligence as far as ginning up interest and give, keeping their options open. But I have a feeling if they, uh, just in case one of the guys that they like is, isn't sitting there, then they have sort of a, a back door. And that back door, this is our final question because it sort of puts a bow on some of your, uh, some of your tastes throughout this conversation. Let's say for the sake of argument, they drop down to 13 and they take Laquan Treadwell. Is that a good use of that pick? I think it would be early for him. However, I love Laquan Treadwell, so I wouldn't hate it. I, I mean, at some point, at some point, you just have to throw, you know, what, let's put it this way. For all the planning I do for a year, when the Browns are actually on the clock, I'm reduced to please don't screw it up. So <laughs> Laquan Treadwell 13 would qualify as not screwing it up. That is extraordinarily, extraordinarily well said and a perfect closing line, Pete. I, I, you know, you nailed it. That is exactly the way that I think a lot of us have come to feel about Brown's draft is please just don't screw it up. And, uh, well, far too frequently they have uh, failed to heed that advice. Uh, but at any rate, we'll find out in short order. And, of course, we'll be back in touch, Pete, and we'll, we'll have you on after the draft, assuming that I can actually get out from under this mountain of real life work, and we'll uh, we'll talk it all over and and see what they got. But at least we didn't waste two or three months worth of podcasts debating the Carson Wentz versus Jared Goff question fruitlessly. Hey, uh, this is uh, let's see. I've got Pete Smith at underscore Pete Smith underscore. I always want to get that right because I 
tend to want to put the underscores in the wrong place. You can find him at Draft Breakdown. He's also at the NFL Spin Zone. He's done all sorts of good pieces, uh, Brown-specific pieces even, uh, at that site. So go check it out. You'll be able to learn all kinds of things about not only draft prospects, but as you read through there, you're going to learn about how the Browns employ certain positions and the kind of personnel they think they have and all that stuff. Pete's on top of all kinds of things, Browns, so you need to be there. Pete, good talking to you again, my friend. We'll talk real soon. Always good time. All right, I hope you enjoyed that as much as I did, those conversations with Brendan Leister and Pete Smith on this pre-draft extravaganza edition of the Browns Note Podcast. We will again be back in a much shorter time period than the three months hiatus we took this time. Uh, following the draft, we'll have some thoughts breaking down each of the picks. We'll look at sort of what they did to move around, because I'm assuming with all those picks they're going to, we'll look at what they've left themselves for next year. And of course, we'll talk about what all those picks mean in terms of adding personnel to this team for the 2016 season. And hopefully we'll find some things to look forward to. So with that, I thank you all for checking out this 40th episode of the Browns Note Podcast, the 2016 pre-draft extravaganza episode. We'll be back after the draft. Talk to you soon, everybody. Woof!